back in the 70s, there was a famous, well now famous, Stanford study that most of you may be familiar with. It's called the Marshmallow Test. Anybody familiar with the Marshmallow Test? If you're in psychology, you might know it, right? Nope, all right, damn. All right, well, the marshmallow, the setup, you've, you've probably seen it somewhere, even if, you've, even if you don't know it as the marshmallow test. You take a little kid, sit him down, and you put a marshmallow in front of him. And you say, you can have this marshmallow if you want. But if you can wait 15 minutes, you can have two marshmallows, right? Or a pretzel, whatever the kid wants, right? Like, but... You can only get that second marshmallow if you wait. Then the researcher steps out of the room. Some of the kids, they can't wait, right? They just go, no one's looking. Bam! Right in the mouth, right? Some kids do wait. They wait the 15 minutes. They want it so bad. But then 15 minutes passes. It seems like an eternity. Finally, the researcher comes in. He's like, hey, you didn't eat it. Here's a second marshmallow. And this, whether you know of this experiment or not, this experiment actually has had an outsized influence on our modern conception of what we now call delayed gratification. Right? Um, and this concept of delayed gratification, it's, you know, it's just because we've put a word on it doesn't mean it hasn't existed, but it has definitely shaped how we view delayed gratification. And even in a culture obsessed with instant gratification, we still, there still is like a, this implicit agreement among our collective psyche that if we can wait it out, whatever it is, right? If we can wait it out, then the payoff, whatever the payoff is, is going to be worth it, right? And we tell ourselves this. And, what, and in most of the endeavors that we embark on, uh, if we are to endure it, if we are to stand it, whether it's something that we embark on purposefully or uh, because we chose to do it or not, right? We say, if I can wait it out, or if I can just endure, or if I can just suffer for a little bit, or maybe a lot bit, but however long it may be, the payoff is going to be worth it. And that's what we tell ourselves, right? And that's what our culture tells ourselves, and that's what we've kind of all agreed upon collectively, right? Whether it's like, whether it's working out, right? The pain of like a, like a superset, I don't know. Uh, I haven't done a superset in like a year. But and it burns every muscle. In your, I don't know why it's burning every muscle in your body, but a lot of muscles are burning, and you're like, ah, it's going to be worth it for the gains, right? Put, your, um, you know, you put yourself through all that pain, all that soreness. Why do you do that? Like, oh, the payoff's going to be worth it, right? Um, you choose not to, you know, you choose not to buy McDonald's that day or you choose not to drink coffee that day. Why? Because I want to put a little more money into my investments or into my savings. Because, ah, oh, if, if, I, if I can just endure not having, not shoving nuggets in my face for a day, maybe that, you know, those couple of dollars can become tens of dollars, like later, right? Um, whatever it is, right? Studying really hard, um, pursuing relationships, whatever it may be. Um, and even the stuff, like I said, even the stuff that we don't choose um, on our own, right? 
like if you're if you're sick and you say okay i just need to get through this treatment or <laughs> this this surgery or whatever right i just need to get through this and it's going to pay off everything's going to be okay right or um it's a death in the family and say all right we're going to we're going to grieve together and we're going to mourn through this but then after that process and after we've kind of uh, gone through that, it'll get better, right? And we ha we've, we've convinced ourselves of this. And perhaps, and I don't mean to frame this in a negative light or to say that these are bad things, right? Delayed gratification, I think we all need to learn how to do more of it, right? But perhaps we have relegate or yeah relegated our faith to a simple marshmallow test perhaps you and i have relegated our faith to a simple marshmallow test of delayed gratification right that our faith is not alive our faith is not brimming with joy it's not bringing brimming with life it's not brimming with the exuberance that should be characteristic of a spirit-filled life. Rather, our faith is more like this. Okay, if I can just check off another chapter of my Bible reading, then I'm, I'm supposed to like know more about God, right? And then, and then, yeah, maybe I'll get closer to Him. Or if I just, <coughs> if I just choose to sing these songs, or if I choose to, if I choose to smile and be joyful, even though my life is falling apart, you know, isn't it, didn't God say like? things are going to turn out better like we it's just a checklist of delayed gratification it's just a checklist of if i can just stand this suffering for a little bit then i'm going to receive what we read today as glory right because we see it, it, it and it is true that suffering in the christian life is the prerequisite to glory in the christian life that's true and if we read this if we, if we had just read verse 18, right, I think I could have just stopped it right there, right? Like, all right, all you got to do, guys, is just delay your gratification, right? Oh, yeah, your life sucks now, but just wait a little bit. Just endure just a little bit, right, because it's going to get better, right? And, but how, many, how often has someone given us that advice or given us that, like, counsel, right? Like, oh, look, my life sucks right now, and they just give you a pat on the back, and they go, everything's going to be okay, Right? And how, how, I mean, I'm sorry if you do this to other people, but like how annoying is that, right? How annoying is that? How unhelpful is that, really? Because, well, anyway, I'll, I'll talk, that's what this sermon's about. But, and, and I think we know why it's annoying, and I think we know why it's unhelpful, because there's no, there's no reality there. There's no real hope there. It's, it, there is hope but it's, it's, a, it's just kind of a, it's not, it's not a real hope. It's, it's, a fall, it's a gamble. That's what it is, right? I don't actually know for sure <laughs> if you're going to be okay, but I'm just going to say it, right? Because that's what we say, right? Because, again, as a society, as a collective psyche, we've convinced ourselves this suffering, if we, just, if we can just stand it for a little bit, there's going to be payoff at the end. Um, but perhaps, I mean, um, but we see that more often than not, 
in our projects of delayed gratification, uh, we fail more often than we succeed. We fail more often than we succeed. And that failure, even if it's not our fault, something goes wrong. But that failure breeds despair in us. We waited 15 minutes for that second marshmallow and you're so happy for that second marshmallow and then you put it in your mouth and you realize this is just a freaking marshmallow. <laughs> I waited 15 minutes <laughs> for a glob of gelatin. And maybe you've experienced something like that in your life where you've waited and waited and waited and you've endured and endured and endured and what pays off at the end is just, it's just a second marshmallow. That's good. It's not great, <laughs> right? Um, and so how can we view verse 18 then? How can we say that this is true? How can we read this that, we, that Paul considers the suffering of this present time as not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us? How can we read that and say that's true? Well, for it to be true, in us, and for it to be true for us, and for us to truly have a hope that yes, everything will be okay. For those words to really ring true, we need to have a true view, a correct view of the nature of our suffering and the nature of our glory. If we do not view our suffering in the right light, and if we do not view our glory in the right, right light, <coughs> then all we get is despair. Um, as fatalistic and as reductionistic as that sounds, that is the ultimate destination. But if we have in view a suffering and a glory that is wrapped in the gospel, that is wrapped in the character and love of Jesus Christ, then we will be, as Paul says, joyful in all circumstances. He says that in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, right? He commands us to be joyful in all circumstances. Why does he do this? Because we can be joyful in all circumstances, even in the midst of our suffering. Because this suffering, the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. That is what we read in the Greek. Oh, in the Greek. Um, I read this verse, and if I had gotten this verse on a test, I would have failed that test <laughs> because the word order in this sentence is really, really goofy, right? And in the Greek, it reads more like this. The sentence starts off like this. I consider that not worthy is the suffering of the present time. That's how the sentence goes, right? Not worthy is the suffering of the present time, right? Paul, <coughs> in his grammatical way, front loads and puts in the spotlight the utter unworthiness of our present suffering compared to the coming glory, right? That's, what, that's what's in view right now, that this suffering, whatever you are going through, it's unworthy. It is not worthy compared to the glory that is coming. Now, if anybody had any reason to make much of his suffering, if anyone had a reason to say, look at this, look at my suffering, look at how significant it is, it is Paul. Paul 
is somebody who had reason to say my suffering is significant. Read what he says in 2 Corinthians. Five times I received at the hand of the Jews 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. Sungbin still won't go rafting because her dad made him go lost one time. But imagine being lost at sea for a day and a half, two days, right? Um, sorry, Sungbin, you'll, you'll go rafting one day. Uh, on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, on and on and on he goes. Who is weak, he says. Am I not weak? Who is made to fall, and am I not indignant? Paul, a man who has suffered, not only suffered, but suffered much for the cause of Christ and the gospel, he is the one who considers his suffering and our suffering and the suffering of the present age as insignificant, unworthy to be compared to the coming glory. Now, when he says the present time, right, I consider the sufferings of this present time, he could be saying that he's, you know, he's writing to the Romans and the Romans are clearly going through something. He's saying, hey, what you're going through, like we're, this is the suffering I'm talking about, right? Whatever they're going through, persecution, strife in the church. He might be speaking to their specific situation, but I think given the, what we call the eschatological context of the verse, right? he's talking about the future glory when Jesus is coming back, right? And so when he's talking about the present time, the present age, we know that Paul is referring to this age, right? The period in between Christ's first coming, when he establishes the church, and Christ's second coming. This is the present age. So when he's talking about suffering, he's not just talking about one specific suffering in one specific time and one specific place. He's talking about all the suffering happening all the time throughout the whole history of the church. That's the suffering he's talking about. And so however big you think your sufferings are, Think what you're going through times everyone in this room, times every church in the world, times 2,000 years. And he says that is not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. A great, extended, prolific suffering. That is not worthy. That is not worthy to be compared to the coming glory. And so, our suffering, our suffering in this way is so small. Our suffering is so small. That's my first point. That was the intro. <laughs> our suffering is so small. Now, I, please stay with me. <laughs> please bear with me uh, as I explain what I mean by that. Right? There are two kinds of suffering. One kind of suffering all people experience it, all people. The second kind of suffering, only Christians experience, okay? The suffering of all people and the suffering of Christians. And this is what we have in common with every single person on earth because there is not a person on earth who has not suffered or gone through something, right? But have you ever had a moment where you look at another person and see what they're going through and you say, that's nothing. I would trade space, I would sw swap places with them in an instant if I had the opportunity. Have you, ever, have you ever told yourself something like that? Don't answer. It's a rhetorical question, okay? 
Because I, I know I have, right? And, and I see other people, and they're complaining about their life and whatever. I'm like, what are you complaining about? You have it so good. And, and we consider that their suffering, compared to our suffering, so small, so insignificant. Why are you crying? You're such a baby, right? Um, <clears throat> we even see this in Scripture, in Psalm 73. The psalmist saying, I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, right? He's saying, Man, I, I'm living the right life. I'm, doing, I'm walking the right path. And look at these people. They are, they are sinners. <laughs> and they, they're, they're not doing anything they're supposed to be doing. And yet, they're living this prosperous life. And how quickly and easily we compare our own struggles to others. And when we look within ourselves, right, we look at our own struggles and we compare it to other people's struggles, compare it to other people's suffering, we are so quickly filled, and I mean filled to the brim with envy and jealousy and pride and angers, maybe even despondency or despair. And so that's why our eyes must not be set on others. And our eyes might, should not even be set on ourselves, but our eyes should be set upon Christ on his cross this is part of what Paul means when he says it is our sufferings are unworthy to be compared to the glory because our sufferings are not even worth comparing to the sufferings, right? Like our sufferings are not even worth comparing to the sufferings of Christ. We, we, <clears throat> we're comparing ourselves to other people's suffering, right? And, we're, and, we're, and in a sense, this is our pride speaking, right? Like, look at me, I'm suffering more than you. And then we just look up to the hill of Calvary, and we say, and either we're just going to ignore it, right? Well, I, don't, I don't see it. Or that cross is going to stare us right in the face. And how dimly would our sufferings shine if we instead cast our spotlight upon the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, who did not sit on a throne but was hanging upon a criminal's cross. How dimly would our sufferings look? And now, course there is a caveat to all this because this is not to say your suffering does not matter not at all your suffering matters infinitely to God right in Matthew eleven twenty eight, what does he say he doesn't say just bear through it just grit your teeth and grind baby no he says come all who are weary and I will give you rest I'm going to take the yoke of suffering off of you, and I'm going to give you mine. And my yoke is it's light. God, when he considers our suffering, he considers what we're going through. Even when compared to Christ, it seems like it's nothing. He looks at us, just as Jesus, when he looked out at the crowd before he fed the 5,000, he looked on them with compassion, right? We were reading Mark and, uh, during our vision retreat, and I was just so struck. Like, these stupid people, <laughs> like, they, they brought this upon themselves. Like, we, we say that to people, right? We, we think that about people. Oh, you brought this on yourself, right? You stupid head, right? Um, but, Jesus, you know, he sees these people. They decide to follow him into the desert with no food, no water <laughs> for three days. <laughs> he could have easily been like, you foolish people. <laughs> he could have made just, a, just pack a bag, bro. 
No, he looks on them with compassion and he feeds them so that their baskets overflow. That is how he looks at us. And I'm, <coughs> and I'm kind of belaboring this point, but I hope that you, you, you can see that on one hand, our suffering is so insignificant. And on the other hand, that it is so significant because Christ came for it. Right? Christ became a man. <laughs> like God became a man. What the? And that God-man hung on a cross. What the? So that we can be saved from the sin and death that brings about all sorts of suffering. Now, having said that, <coughs> that is the general type of suffering, right? That is what everybody goes through. Everybody goes through loss. Everybody goes through, um, not everybody goes through financial issues, but you know what I mean. Like, there are financial issues, relational issues, um, things that are common to every single person. And God cares about all of that, too. Um, but Paul, in Romans 8.18, he is speaking specifically of a specific type of suffering to a specific group of people that is what we read in the previous verses, the sons of God. And by sons, I mean sons and daughters, right? The heirs to the kingdom of God. These heirs are going to suffer. And only those who follow Christ can share in Christ's suffering. Only those who have taken up their cross can feel the weight and the brunt of the cross upon their shoulders. And so if you call yourself a Christian, your suffering, though you have types of suffering that you share with every single person on earth, there is also another type of suffering that you must endure, that you must go through, that is completely different than what every, what, then the, the suffering is completely different than what every other person who is not follower of Christ will experience because indeed that suffering is the carrying of your cross the suffering that all Christians are called to is to follow after the one who was crucified the suffering that we are called to is to be more like Christ and Christ was reviled in all sorts of ways it's to be like the Christ who was denied by his own disciples. Peter, you, I mean, you're that guy from that. You're the guy from Galilee. I don't know this guy, right? That's the, to follow a Christ who was abandoned by his closest friends. That is the cross, and that is the kind of suffering that we are called to endure. And yet, how easily, quickly, we abandon the cross that we are called to carry. How the opinions of feeble men and women prevent us from opening our mouths to share the gospel with them. This gospel that saves sinners and raises dead corpses to life, we cannot even utter it to our classmates or coworkers for fear of how it would affect our reputation or our job prospects or whatever. You know how simple it is to, to buy a round of drinks on Friday, right? <laughs> and not even think twice about it, but come Sunday, that it's so hard to drink the cup of Christ, our hands empty before the 
stupid Venmo sign, right? Um, that we can't even offer that. You know, our legs shot from never missing a workout, right? But our virgin knees, having never <laughs> knelt before the Lord in prayer, right? I'm going to work on those, <laughs> right? But um, I hope you know what I mean, right? Because for all, for all this religious morality, um, <clears throat> I mean, hold on. Oh, okay, right? Um, and we, we're called to this kind of suffering, but is it even suffering, right? We can't even, we can't even do the basics can't even open our Bibles, can't even pray for one another on a regular basis. But, you know, this, the point of this is not to do all that. Right? That's not the point, right? Because religious morality is not what we're after. Religious morality is not what we're after. Religious morality is not the glory that Paul is talking about. Right? Because even Paul, he did do all those things. He was shipwrecked for those things. He was beaten for those things, jailed for these things. And yet he says those are unworthy. And so even if you did all these things, even if you, uh, even if you were you know, fired from your job or you were persecuted or whatever, right, that's, that's unworthy. <laughs> like that's not worth comparing to the glory that is coming, right? All right, having established that. But perhaps um, we think so much, we think so greatly about our suffering, whether it is the general type of suffering or whether it is Christian type of suffering, right, that we are going through all manner of pain and tribulation. But maybe we think so greatly of our own suffering because we think so greatly of our personal glory. Think so much of our suffering because we think so much of our personal glory. Right? Um, you know, we don't, we don't give God the honor and glory that he is due. But you know, when we really need something, we have the audacity to pray to him, right? Oh God, just let me land this interview, or let me get into that school, or let me let me let him like me, or whatever. Right? We have, we have the audacity to pray for these small sufferings, right? Like, oh God, I worked really hard, right? Uh, and we are called to a great suffering. But even though it might seem audacious to pray for these little things. The, most, the more audacious thing is that our prayers and the longings of our heart and the goal of our suffering is not audacious enough. Our prayers, our suffering, our vision is not audacious enough because our glories, the glories that we're after, this is point two, our glory, the glories that we're after are so small. We have the audacity to long for such non-audacious glories that even if, as God himself has given him himself through his son to us he's literally given himself to us and we come to him for glories that are so small 
And that is not to say that what we desire for or what we work towards are bad things, right? It's good to want life for those who are sick. It's good to be rewarded for the hard work that you put in school and you put into your um, career. And yet, if the ceiling of the view of our glory ends with ourselves, then we are suffering greatly for small glories, right? If our view of glory ends with ourselves, it ends with what I accomplish, it ends with uh, what I get out of all this, if our view of our, if, if the view of glory it ends with ourselves, then our suffering will seem great. It's like a, it's like a goldfish in a tank, in a goldfish tank, you know, you know what I mean? Like a gold, do you know how big goldfish can get? So if you have them in a little, little bowl, they, they stay little goldfish, right? Flush them down a the toilet, don't ever flush a goldfish down a toilet because they become like this big and they eat everything. Um, so don't do that. But yes, when, we, when our tank is small, then even though our suffering is small, it seems like it's taken up a lot of the tank. All right, that was a terrible example. Sorry, guys. But not only that, right? But if, our, if the view of our glory ends with what I get out of all this, what I will accomplish, or what I'm going to persevere and get at the end, then our small glories look like big glories. And if our small, glo- small glories that look like Oh, if, if we don't, eh, let me start over. Our small glories look like big glories. And then, if we don't get those things, then we become devastated. We, be, we are crushed by the weight of our view of our glory. Right? Um, you say, I mean, this is a personal example for me, right? You save money, and you're investing your money, and you're like, this is going to work out. It's going to work out in the end. And then all your tech stocks just go, right? Maybe not everyone is uh, (laughs) getting what I'm saying, but, right? And when that happens, you're crushed. You're devastated. All this hard work that I've put into saving and being smart with my money, it's gone in an instant, right? That's why you saw so many, uh, every time there's like a market crash, right? You see so many suicides, so much hopelessness, so much despair. Um... At the end of the day, our suffering, it is great, but it's not, right? Our suffering is great, but it's not. And our glories are great, but they're not. And when our view of our suffering starts and ends with us, that it's my suffering and I just got to grind through and I just have to endure, then, then your hope ends with you. And if I know anything about myself, I don't know about you, but if I know anything about myself, I am not an arbiter and a bastion of hope. (laughs) And if our glories start and end with us, what I can accomplish, what I can, uh, how much I can achieve, or how much healing I can receive, then your glories are tiny, your glories are small. And yes, what we pursue, what we long for can be great, but how can we, how can we, view the, how can we view these things so that they do give us hope, 
so that our suffering does have purpose, does have meaning, so that our glory is not confined to what we can accomplish in and of ourselves. Well, that's why, we, that's why I'm reading Romans 8 verse by verse, because we know that this suffering and this glory is not our own, but that this suffering is wrapped up in and united to Christ. We do not suffer on our own, and we do not suffer for the sake of ourselves, but we suffer with Christ for the Christ who has already suffered, and not only suffered, but who has died for our sake. And we do not glorify ourselves. Quiet, Debbie. We do not glorify ourselves And we do not wrap up our conception of glory and peace and joy and contentment and satisfaction in ourselves. But we know that all of this is wrapped up in who Christ is and what Christ himself has accomplished and what Christ will do when he comes again to establish a kingdom that will never end, where there will be no tear from any eye, there will be no pain and no weeping and no sorrow anymore. That is the glory to which we truly aspire. That is the glory to which we look with longing, but with hope. Knowing that the sufferings of this present age, they are great. And sometimes the suffering of this present time can seem too much to bear. That is why our eyes are set on the one who has overcome all things. Our eyes are set on the cross of Christ that has overcome our sin, has overcome the wages and the bondage of death. And so that even when we do suffer, we look to him, the one who has already given of himself to us. And like Paul saying, the one who will come again in full glory to reveal himself to us. Let's pray. Father, would we, like Paul, consider that the sufferings of this present time is not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us? And what a tremendous statement of faith that would be because we know that our suffering is great and not great as in good, but great as in overwhelming. Our suffering is great as in we don't know if we can handle it. And as much as we have been taught, and as much as we have been trained by this world, and maybe even in our churches, that if we just grit our teeth and grind through it, things are going to be okay. That, that that second marshmallow is waiting for us at the end of those 15 minutes Yet we know, Lord God, that as long as we live in this fallen world, disappointment and failure will meet us more often than success. And yet, Lord God, we can say that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us because this suffering is not our own, but the suffering is the suffering of Christ. And it is through this suffering that Christ endured 
as a man, suffering humiliation, even in his own hometown, to be beaten and to be nailed to a cross. That suffering was for the sake of glory. That suffering was for the sake of his glory. That indeed he would reveal himself to be the savior of men, to be the savior to sinners, to be the redeemer of the unredeemable, to be the lover of those who are unlovable. shine in us even as we suffer with him in this present time and so Lord God would we be filled with hope knowing that you have suffered with us that you have suffered for us but you do not leave us alone in our suffering but you promise us a glory uncomparable you promise us glory not just in and of ourselves but a glory with you glory in a kingdom that will never end. And so Lord, uh, would you remind us constantly, continually of this great hope? Would you remind us that indeed, even in the midst of our troubles, you are there with us to the very end of the age. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.